Hello, and welcome to episode five of OTTB On Tap. I'm Neve, And I'm Emily. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with Jessica Redman from Benchmark Sport Horses. Jessica, why don't you just give us a little bit of background information about you, who you are, and the business that you've started. So I have a small business in Camden, Delaware that focuses on basically restarting thoroughbreds off the track and doing sales. It's very thoroughbred specific. And as far as my background, I grew up doing, you know, sort of my family was in the thoroughbred business. Mostly my stepfather trained racehorses for many years. And my mom, she ran a sort of a retraining program of her own and did some sales, had a lot of lessons. So I sort of like my background is in all the facets of kind of bringing along thoroughbreds. We had brood mares. We started the babies. I was in pony club and I just always really, you know, sort of just enjoyed bringing along thoroughbreds and, and sort of got addicted to it. And then I picked the sales up as a way to pay for college and just, you know, sort of, it's one of those things that once I started, I just, I got addicted and I, I can't, <laughs> this was, yeah. sort of grew. I think the first year that I kind of really started my resale business, I think I sold like seven horses and now we do pretty well over 150 every year here. So it's, it's a busy business and I do work a full-time job. So I have some help. I have great barn help and a couple of riders that help with the riding and we just sort of make it all work. And just to give a little context, so it's 150 horses or, or more in a year. And how big is your property and how big is your barn? Yeah, so I have 11 acres and 25 stalls. And most of my horses kind of go out in like what I call their brown pens, but they do get turned out every day and they get to, you know, sort of do that track to feel turnout, but just sort of on a, on a little bit of a different scale because we do have a small farm. We don't have a lot of field turnout and being a sales program, horses aren't here that long. So I find that that works really well for our program is to do kind of a graduated, you know, from stall, they get turned out, but it's not quite just, you know, turn them loose in a field type of turnout. Yeah. And then just to, to start off, where can people find more information about your business if they're interested in looking for an off the track thoroughbred? Yeah. So our book page, um, we're Benchmark Sport Horses on Facebook. And then we have a website, www.benchmarksporthorses.com. Your website's very easy to navigate. And I think that you also write very good ads, but before even contacting you, people can find out an awful lot about the horses before they ever ask you a question. So has it always been just off the track thoroughbreds or have you, I know you've dabbled in a couple of other breeds over the years, but you said that your, um, your family grew up selling horses was it always thoroughbreds or yeah like my mom had a lot of different you know having a lesson program she had all kind of horses and she you know sort of did the typical go to the go to the auctions or go to the sales and yeah. bring home whatever she brought home and that's sort of what you got going and learned to ride on so you know I sort of grew up riding a little bit of everything and then kind of like you know, I was graduated to the thoroughbreds. I want to say, I think I got my first thoroughbred when I was maybe like 11, but I, I do like to buy other horses and, you know, I've, I've certainly ridden plenty of other breeds. I, I think, you know, it's just sort of like my passion tends to be the thoroughbreds and I actually, I prefer them. So it's, it's just a, 
It's just a preference. It doesn't mean I I won't buy other things. Like I'm always, I don't know. I'm just one of those people. I'm, I'm such a like a horse shopper, you know, I'm like, Oh, yeah. that looks cool. And I'll buy something just cause I'm like, that looks fun. You know, I'm like, yeah. I don't know what it is. Some crossbred. I mean, I had like this cool horse this year and he was like Dutch harness, quarter horse, something, you know, it was like, I don't know. He was awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. You know? And you had that really yeah. cute paint as well, I think. Yeah. 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 I've had some cool paints, you know, but it's actually funny. Like I find those horses to be so expensive that yeah. most of them, you know, you really can't buy them to like make them up because the prices have just gotten so crazy. Airbreds yeah. are such a good value compared to a lot of other horses, if you ask me. And so you started the business how many years ago, would you say? So I think I kind of like got serious about it in 2013 is when I really started kind of building my business. Before then, I had worked for Canner for like six years doing a lot of retraining for, you know, nonprofit organization and wasn't really doing my own sales. And then I kind of felt like after I bought my farm and got a little more financially secure and able to accept the risk of doing sales, that's kind of when I branched into it. And then when do you think it really kind of took over from this a half a dozen horses per year to now over 150 horses? Yeah. So what was it that was evolu a, evolution like? It was like, you know, it was funny. I, I like always go back and look at my books and I want to say it was like seven, 15, you know, like yeah. 50. And then it just like, I want to say probably in 2016 forward, it's been steady over 150 a year. Wow. So in this episode, we really want to focus on your feelings about the OTTB buyer and how they might establish a good reputation or just be kind of the best buyer that they can be. We thought that maybe you would have some good insight into that. So I'm going off of that. I wanted to ask you a little bit, you know, we just talked about your volume. So around 150 a year, that's a lot of horses per month. <laughs> For a week, uh, yeah. doing the math is scary. You're like, whoa, that's a lot, you know? Because I'm sure it's not spread out evenly over the year too. I'm sure there's times where it's like, yeah. there's just you're bursting at the it's, seams, and yeah, it's you can't, you cannot predict sales. I, I really like, I, I can't like emphasize that enough. Is that you just there is no prediction. I don't know when horses are going to sell or why they sell or, you know, sometimes it's like all of a sudden I'll sell like 10, you know, in, in a week. And you're like, Whoa, like the whole barn emptied out. And <laughs> why? I don't know. They'd been here. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It works. Yeah. And communication with buyers is something that I find interesting. And since you have such a high volume of horses, how do you manage your interactions with potential buyers? Is there a communication method that you prefer? And that, you know, I know that you also work a full-time job. So what works best for you and what kind of communication style do you prefer? Yeah, I think, you know, nowadays I feel like most people are easier like to reach via text. And I, I always prefer text just because I find like when I'm busy, I can always kind of come back to it and I just am quicker to respond to people. But a lot of people communicate through Facebook message, which is, that's great for me too, you know, and I'm pretty good with email. I'm, I'm not as good at phone calls and, and really just, it's because I forget if it's not in front of me, then I, then I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. So, you know, I do think it's, people have to understand that we kind of get hit 
from all angles sometimes, you know, so I do my best to communicate as quickly as I can and normally point people to the website. If they're asking questions that are answered there, I'll, I'll normally respond with, hey, here's the website because the website does have all the information. It's got all the videos, the prices, the pictures, the process. It talks about the deposits, the vetting, the list of vets. So it's like half of that stuff is it's there. And I just feel like it just cuts down on some of the need for that communication because it's, it is, it's hard to answer as many questions as people have sometimes when it's there. It's like, if you're interested and you're giving me a specific course, I feel like I can, I kind of maybe pinpoint, or maybe if you give me two or three, Hey, I'm interested in this. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can, I can kind of work with that, but I'm always kind of just trying to figure out, okay, what are your goals? What do you want to do? You know, kind of give me, give me your parameters and then let's go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine you must get a lot of like texts and Facebook messages and, and things like that. I mean, are you like 10 per day, hundreds per day? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, it, um, it sort of depends on when you post horses. I always think like certain horses you get sort of, you know, you're going to get like an instantaneous uh, response. I'm getting ready to post like another video of this incredible, like huge black horse that I have. That's just unbelievable. And you just sort of know that that's going to generate a lot. So some days more than others, but it's pretty steady. I mean, normally, normally it is somewhere between five to 10 emails a day. And then the days where I post a lot of videos, I'll, I, I normally get more and you can't really predict what the volume of, of messages are going to be. Yeah. Absolutely. People, you don't hear from me follow up because I probably just forgot or it's just easy when you're getting like so many messages to to miss one or something it's normally just like not intentional people don't understand that you're getting a ton of messages especially about one horse it's easy to kind of just forget it's not on purpose <laughs> if someone's going to yeah. contact you for the first time and i feel like i remember this from when we were doing this it was so much easier if someone would just send a message or a text and it had all of the things they wanted to ask in one go Versus like, hi, Jessica, this is Neve. Mm-hmm. One message. I'm interested in Dobbin. <laughs> right. Another message. And you're like, could you please just put all of your questions? In I don't know. Yeah. But then sometimes you, know, you get like, 30 questions you get, and you're like, you get like oh, a no. wall of text. And you're yeah. like, oh, no. Like if you're horse shopping, you sort of have that, you know what you're looking for. So if people are sort of, I'm looking for a three to five-year-old gelding that I plan on doing training level to, that's my goal. And I, it needs to be whatever color, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay. If, if those are your things, like, just tell me up front, I can't crib. I can't do this. It, I need this. Okay, great. I can, I can work with that. And I like, I prefer that. Like, if you say, Hey, like I, my typical program is I ride two days a week. I have a trainer, but I'm timid. I like horse. That's like more whoa then go i'm like okay i know which horses i'm gonna recommend and that's really helpful but if you kind of give me like a vague i just want to come look at all your horses i'm just like or like i want a gray one and you're like like, what do you want to do with it (laughs) because we always say that those are the that is like our first indication when somebody gives us like a list of four different horses that couldn't be more opposite i'm like this this already tells me that you're you don't really know what you're looking at. You only want the ones with the white socks. Like, come on, just. Yeah. Or you just asked about this one that's like 
upper level. Oh my God. Like you can tell from its video, it's like a spicy, like huge scopey horse. And then in the same thing, you're like, well, I'm also interested in this one. That's like a kick ride. And it looks like maybe it's going to go baby and Alice. That just makes me think, okay, we're not on the same page here. So on that vein, do you, out of the people that you talk to, is there a way that you're able to, or, or do you get sort of an intuition about weeding out those that you don't think are serious buyers? Do you deal with a lot of what we call quote unquote tire kickers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I just, the longer you have been at it, the stronger you feel about like your gut feeling, I guess there's things that I just feel like give you a clue that maybe it's just not the right customer. For me, that is, I want somebody that's excited to buy a thoroughbred that likes a thoroughbred, appreciates them. So if you're already telling me like my trainer doesn't want me to have a thoroughbred or <laughs> I'm kind of a timid rider, or there's a couple of things that I'm just like, this doesn't sound good. Or like your first question is, is like, have you x-rayed its back? I'm just uh, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll, get you, that'll get you blacklisted. <laughs> yeah, it does. Cause I just like, there are things that make me think like, this is going to be really difficult. Maybe there's just somebody else that's going to be a better, you know, fit for our program or somebody that's just not reading the ad. I always feel like my ads are pretty descriptive. So if I say, Hey, this horse needs like a five day a week program, it's an upper level type. And you have not, retrained a thoroughbred I'm like this this just maybe isn't a good fit you know so I will then maybe try to like direct you towards something else or just say hey I don't I don't think that horse is what you're what you're looking for um I feel do like you feel we like, say do no you, a lot it's okay you, to say no you know yeah it's it's better to say no sometimes just to be like I I heard what you said but I I don't think this is what you're looking for yeah I do think sometimes buyers sort of lose sight of the fact that like there's two parties here, you know, there's a seller and they can say no, like if it's not in the best oh, interest yeah. or right. being too much, like if you can tell it's just me drama down the road or not going to be a good situation with the horse, it's great that, you know, you're, you feel comfortable exercising that option. Yeah, yeah I, was gonna, I, I was going to add to that. I know you've had a couple of horses over the years, either people have asked to bring them back or they've come back kind of ruined for lack of a better term or not in the way that you left them when they, you know, when they left your farm. And I feel like you've probably over the years just gotten just more strict about those parameters because of getting burned a little bit or being sort of convinced, well, they said they have the right program, but I, I feel like maybe they're exaggerating or they're not being realistic. And then I think you learn a lot from those experiences. Yeah, for sure. And it, it can sometimes be hard because sometimes I have had people come that I thought, wow, this is like a good fit and they have the right program and like they really get along good with this horse and they ride this horse well. And the things that you can't tell about people are like, what is their, gonna, their response going to be when things go wrong? Like yeah. if, if the horse starts to misbehave and it's not done that and it obviously was good when you came and you tried it are you going to be the type that reaches back out to me to say, Hey, like I'm having some problems. Like, what do you suggest? Or are you just going to blame like me and the horse and then hide it and then wait until things have went so bad that it's not fixable. Those are what frustrates me because I do feel like there are good 
you know, even if it's not me, you don't reach back out to me. Like I want my horses to be with somebody that cares enough about the horse to go, you know, this isn't working out, but I'm going to maybe get a different trainer, maybe get some better advice or just try to figure it out rather than just like dumping them. It's frustrating when that happens because you do feel like you've done everything you can to kind of honestly represent your horses, but situations change. I mean, we all know like taking horses to a different barn, maybe it's the riding, maybe it's the tack, maybe it's the turnout, you know, there could be so many things, but it just frustrates me because a lot of times it's like, I could have probably just helped you and I'm pretty receptive to kind of like, Hey, send me a video. Like, let me see what's going on. Let's talk about it. I like want everybody to succeed and be happy. So yeah, if I get the feeling that like somebody is not going to be willing to do that, I'm just, I'm just not interested in selling them a horse. You know, at the end of the day, like your horses are your best advertising. So like, if you know that it's not going to be a good match, there's just, there's just no point in doing it. I always feel like all my best business comes from people that are so happy with their horses when they're out there saying, I've got this great horse and I bought it from her and they send their friends and nobody wants to make a bad sale. And if you know that it's not a good match, it's just, I don't do it. I'm lucky enough. I always feel like just because sales are not my full-time job, I don't need to sell a horse just to sell a horse. So I have no problem saying no if I make people mad or they never speak to me or, you know, that's fine. You know what I mean? So along the same lines as what you're talking about, when someone does come to your barn to try a horse and maybe they want to try four or five horses, what's the process like when they get there? How do you determine if they're a good rider or ready for an off-the-track thoroughbred? I think that's a really good question because every barn probably does it a little bit different, but normally... If you've kind of given me your rundown of what it is that you're looking for, we maybe talked about a couple of horses, but normally what we like to do here is we'll start with our quietest horse first. So like out of that bunch, I really don't care which one you wanted to see. I'm going to show you the one that maybe is your least favorite of that bunch, but (laughs) I know that's what I almost call our tester horses. So I think every sales barn has a tester horse, which is your quieter horse. That's your gauge. Okay. You rode that good. All right, now we can move on. I now know who to pull out. When I think that it's good because you do we do have enough horses. So like you're not just normally if you come here to see one horse and it's like not exactly what you were looking for, then I can a lot of times I'm like, well, I have this other like I think might be good or what about yeah. this? Because sometimes people just I don't know, I always feel like it helps to just like get on or it's maybe not what you thought it was in the video. You like it more, you like it less. It's sometimes you just don't, yeah. you don't know, but that's kind of what we, what we do. And then like we go from there. So sometimes it's just short appointment and they mm-hmm. ride that first source. We are like, it's yeah, gonna, no, it's not happening. Or we suggest others. And if they're not interested in that, then we're just like, okay, well, we really don't have anything else. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard. It's really hard. Yeah you hurt people's feelings and it's not intentional. It's just, you have to call it like you see it sometimes. And that's, that's a hard thing to do, but it's necessary. Like I don't want anybody hurt. I don't want my horses to have bad experiences, but more than anything, you can quickly identify like when people are a good match or a good fit or not. When we know our horses pretty well within a ride or so, and I'm not willing to let people get on if, if I already think it's not going to be a good, a good experience. Do you like it when someone comes to try a horse and they get kind of stuck 
but they want to learn. So they ask you, can you help me? Or does it frustrate you when someone's just like, kicking and pulling and doing whatever and nothing's happening and they, and they don't do anything? No, like, I feel like here we are always really quick to step in and help people. Again, it's like a good identifier of whether somebody's going to be a good fit or not, because right, it's if they, they're struggling and we're giving them some tips and they're really listening and catching on and it's going well. We're like, okay, this person, they are patient. They're quick to pick it up. They're respecting the fact that we know our horses and they're willing to try. That's a great sign. But if you get people that are just like, I know better I'm just like, this isn't going to work because <laughs> I just don't think that's like the best way to approach young horses. Right. And I always feel like, right. If you'll do that on the first ride in front of people, you don't know. Yeah. I don't want to know what you do when you go home. I had one lady show up with cash in a trailer and the horse landed from the jump and like, she literally ripped its face off. And I was like, you're done. Get off. And she was like, I want the horse. And she was here with cash in a trailer. And that was a hard wow. one, but I, you are mean. And if you will rip a horse's face off in front of a, a person selling it. I'm like, just no. And she right. just was like aggressive in her riding. And I was just like, horses just don't deserve that. So. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to end well. It's I, yeah. really awesome to hear, though, even with the volume that you do, how much you invest in each horse and the match and that you're not willing to just kind of let one fly under the radar and that you really care yeah. about where they end up. We will say that a lot. I will say it, it bothers me a lot to hear people say, you're just a flipper. Like, how well do you know your horses? It's like, you know nothing about me. You've never been here. You know nothing about what we do. I do understand that horses sell quickly, but I feel like anybody that's been here and seen what we do would never assume that we don't care about our horses. I mean, I'm very quick to say no, to tell people this isn't a good match. I think something else is better suited for you. It makes enemies, but at the end of the day, I sleep better at night. <laughs> so it's okay. But yeah, we're not just flipping them. I do know my horses and I know who they are going to suit. And I think a lot of people would probably attest to that fact that they've reached out and I've sort of steered them in a different direction or said, yeah, this isn't quite what you're looking for. And I think everybody should be willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I have kind of a funny question for you and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but do you have like a group of resellers that you talk to regularly about certain clients? I know that when we were doing this, sometimes we'd be like, oh, hey, like heads up, this person's coming down from our barn to come look at a few at your place. They were great or whatever. Or, hey, this person's coming down and they almost fell off. <laughs> so, so, and they want a really fancy horse. Do resellers talk to each other about clients? Is that a weird yeah. question? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are a, like a lot that are really supportive and we have a little Facebook group and I think it does some, some good because it's so funny how so many of us share the same clients <laughs> or they have messaged all of us because we're all doing the same, same thing. And I think bad experiences are, are really like important to broadcast because if it's not you this time, it could be you next time. You know, I, I guess that's the way I have always looked at it. It's like, yeah. I don't want to be a tattletale, but maybe it goes great for somebody. And that's, that's great. Maybe they, they get the sale and they have a better experience. And sometimes and then, I'm sure you want to know, was it just a bad experience with my horses or is this person doing this every place that they go? And I'm yeah. sure for you, it's like, it's a bit isolating being in your own little bubble. So it's probably nice to feel like, am I going crazy or is everybody well, just a bad rider today? You know, sometimes 
you see they're in search of ads, right? And I'm like, they've been here. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend oh, it. Yeah. You know, like I just sent a message today to my little resellers group to say, hey, this person was they're here. on the prowl. Not a good experience. Like <laughs> I don't recommend. Like, and again, take it for what it's worth. Like yeah. you might have a better experience. But you know, normally there's three of us here and um, you know, I'm not always the one riding the horses, but I'm outside a lot when people are here and I'm getting to see the interactions. And we do this every day. And there is people that make it on my blacklist really quick because they're rude or just some really bad behavior. So it's sometimes yeah. a little shocking, the behavior that happens. And I really wish people would know that doing that one place will get you on a blacklist because we do talk to one another. Yeah. I thought about this recently when I ran into somebody uh, when I was doing a photo shoot and it was somebody that I knew from like three people removed and my very first interaction with this person, they immediately started talking really poorly about other professionals in the area. And that's such a big red flag to me in the horse world, because I feel one, it's incredibly small, not just our area, but worldwide. And two, it just, for me, tells me a lot about your character when somebody is willing to without prompting or without knowing you or your and your relationship with all of these other people will just like dump all of that on you. That's something that for me gets my spidey senses up and I go, this is a person that I'm not really sure I can trust. And I'm sure that happens a lot in your world where you're like, I just met you. What's happening? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that is something that because Emily was asking and I've picked that up in in those original those first exchanges. The only time that I've gotten sued was something that I really should have I like look back and I'm like, that was my fault. They told me they returned two horses to adoption groups. And I was like, wow, how did I think that I was better? Like really did that was just being a little bit cocky to think, oh, well, I'm not at an adoption group. My horses are sound. That won't happen to me. <laughs> yeah, sure enough, you know? And so I'm like, lesson learned, like <laughs> read that, take it in, go. If they do it to one, they'll do right. it to all of us. Don't think you're better just because, oh, my horses are better or we're better. Or I've learned a lot from that. I always take what people say, like other sellers, and you sort of like put it in the back of your mind because sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's believable. And then sometimes mm -hmm. you're not sure. But I think most of us probably are like, oh, we've had that same experience because somebody mm -hmm. will start talking about a, an experience that they had with somebody and I'll see who it is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because I saw that coming. It's like, oh, no, yes. I, I read that email and was like, oh, no, I'm not going there. I'm not even bothering. <laughs> but, you know, I've gotten yeah. better. I've been at it for like a long time. And kind of what you said, it's a small world, right? So it just gets around. And it's sad that people don't talk about it. I have talked about people on Facebook that I've had bad experiences with. Because I think it's important. If I've bought a horse from somebody that deliberately lied about something really obvious and there are times when that that deserves it i don't do that all the time but i do think yeah. there are times when it's called for this horse had a an obvious fracture or you knew it was dangerous facts came out yeah. that you were just a really bad person um, and the horse yeah. is the one that loses in that scenario every time yeah. that's the thing you yeah. know i yeah. definitely really got torched uh, maybe six months ago for and i very rarely i don't get involved in arguments on facebook i try to stay pretty <laughs> quiet and neutral but man i got yeah. really wound up and and it was shocking the amount of horse people that i like and respect that 
kind of came after me and I had to be willing to kind of say, nope, I'm, I'm drawing a line. This has to be said, and I'm going to take the consequences for speaking up about it. Yeah. But it's hard to do because I know anytime I post something about somebody, people are going to say, well, you should have, you did this. Or, and I'm just like, you have to be willing to kind of say, Hey, I'm not perfect, but this is something that people deserve to know about, or I've had multiple bad experiences with this person. And I'm going to talk about it because I believe in talking about things. Like I know I post things that other people would not post about and it offends people. I'll talk about horses that show up here with problems and people say, well, didn't you vet it? And Mm. no, I didn't. I get it. I, I'm not saying that some of the responsibility doesn't fall on me, but let's talk about some of the bad things that happen or, you know, bad experiences or like that. It's what you do in those moments. People need to know too, that when I get those horses, I'm not just dumping them. I'm not reselling them. I'm, I'm being honest about what's happened, what I have full disclosure, because I think that shows that if you can do that, that you're not just going to pass the buck on to somebody else. So it's not just about what you do with the good horses, but also what happens when you have horses that have issues. How do you market those horses? What do you talk about? How do you do that? I have had to navigate that. I'm not sure that I always do it the best way, but I'm not sure that there is the best way to do that either. I think I remember there, like there's the common denominator, right? Like, you know, you get two bad horses from the same person or the person returns two horses to rescues you know like that's a safety net that's put there for like extremes not oh yeah. let me just take this one try it and yeah. you know what back like that's not how that works and then i think the other part of that too is risk and like your acceptance of risk and as a reseller you can't be vetting every horse you buy or else i mean your profit margin is already minimal yeah on ottbs i mean you know, like it or not, I think it's increased probably maybe, except that the prices have increased yeah, on the track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It kind of went both ways there. But then if you're going to do a full PPE on everything, I mean, I think that's- There's no risk. money to be made. No. And then, yeah, the, you have to have an exit plan for those that have these issues that need to be dealt with. And I that's think that's the one of the things though, I say this probably at least once a week. People don't understand the value that resellers bring to the business. And one of it is the biggest thing that I can tell people is, is that I've been at it for so long that I know the players. I know the players in the game. I know the trainers. I know who I'm buying from. I know things that most people probably just would never know just because I've been doing it for so long. And I take all of those negative experiences and that is what adds value because I've learned those lessons. I've taken those losses. I've sort of taken the punishments and sort of went, okay, so, you know, I'm not going to purchase from that person. So you can kind of feel like there's a bit of a safety net in that I have done the learning for you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, all the heavy lifting. Yeah, they don't look at it that way. But if they only knew some of the things that have happened, I think they would have a lot more respect for why our prices are what they are and what value they they bring, you know. And also, I just told somebody 
the other day. No, I don't need to bet these horses. I watch more horses go than bets do half the time. You know, <laughs> I more bettings. I hate to say what I say sometimes, but my eye for soundness is really good because I know I have to be able to get it through a vetting. And, yeah. you know, if I am even have a question, I don't buy it. You know, people are like, well, do you vet it? And it's like, if it even takes one step that I'm, I'm, I just don't do it. So I think maybe it's just the way people like go about it. I was thinking a little bit about a specific story that happened with you and buying a horse that you were lied to. It was a horse that you were told it was a gelding. I think this happened with multiple horses, but there was one in particular. He was absolutely <laughs> stunning. I remember you first posted pictures of him and I think the internet broke. He was like a dark bay. I think he had some white on him and he was just absolutely gorgeous. And then I think the very next day you came on Facebook just with flames on the side of your face, just mad because the horse was going to kill somebody and you did the right thing and you, you did the exploratory surgery and, and all that and got the undescended testicle out and all that stuff. But I think the point that you were trying to make is like, when you're buying horses off the track, this is an, an outcome that nobody can predict. And if you weren't you, somebody could have gotten extremely hurt or the horse could have gotten hurt. And yeah, that's for me that's mad about. Like, that's when I talk about it is when I'm like, this could have killed somebody. Like, yeah, I understand. And you weren't, you weren't being hyperbolic. You were like, you know, I, if you, this you, wasn't you, me, like, who would it have been? And what would somebody have done with this horse if it showed up and they didn't have the facility that I have? I mean, because it probably was the most dangerous horse I've ever had. And, you know, wow. it was like frightening because I was not exactly sure what I was going to do with him, you know? And it was like, you couldn't just get the surgery scheduled right away. And even when you do, it takes time for kind of all those hormones to come out. And it, it just irritated me that the seller acted like, like I was crazy. Like, I yeah. didn't know what I was talking about. And people actually got pissed off at me. And they were like, well, you don't know what horses act like at the track. Like, maybe that person didn't know. And I'm like, no, I do know what horses act like at the track. You know? You're like, there's and no I, way this horse did not act that way. Two seconds off of getting off the trailer. We walked him through the barn. And both Ian and I went, oh, no. I mean, it was so <sighs> obvious. And I thought, come yeah. on. You know, like, any person that has a bit of common sense would have known so it really made me angry because just somebody could have really got hurt and the horse I always say it's not about the money but at the end of the day like it wasn't a cheap horse you know it was expensive to buy him ship him but then the surgery super expensive and just all the time that it took for the layup and you know yeah. all of that and I'm like would other people have Benny, like, what if you were at a boarding barn and that horse showed up? Like, oh my God, can you imagine? And then I think a lot of people would jump to, well, it's a training issue. You know, people that don't know that it could be something yeah. else would be like, oh, it's just a training issue. Yeah. You know, oh my God, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. Hard. I mean, it frustrated me because there was multiple people involved and I was like, mm, okay, more people on the blacklist. Yeah. Again, when it's like people that will do that they have no moral code you know there is a little bit for me that's like I think that crosses a line I have like a little bit of a line that I draw and things that I accept that I really don't get mad about nobody has x-ray vision or whatever but then there's like some things that I'm, you knew you sold it anyway <laughs> now you're on the list yeah yeah absolutely I think we got a little off topic but that's okay yeah we probably <laughs> went way <laughs> <laughs> 
It's all good. We just um, like talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think we touched on this a little bit. I know you have some help in the barn and riding, but as far as fielding inquiries from buyers, answering questions, scheduling visits, scheduling vettings, all that, is that all you or do you have? some magical secretary that helps <laughs> all that while you're also no, running. A I do all that. So all correspondence is me. I schedule the farrier, the vettings, all that stuff. I try to kind of keep everything organized. So I just feel like it'd be hard to kind of delegate that off to somebody else. It's, it's, yeah. it's just really difficult. And, and honestly, that's the part that most people don't want to deal with. So I do feel like that falls to me because at the end of the day, my riders, they ride and they do what they have to do, but they, they can sort of walk away from it. And Stacey, you know, Stacey has her own business. So she experiences the yeah. same thing when she doesn't want. And it's funny because people get so confused, like which horses are Stacy's and which are mine. And it's, it's been interesting as her business has grown. We do share a lot of the same customers and things. Cause obviously we live, you know, 20 minutes from one another. So people do shop at both of our places frequently and, and deal with both of us. And I think that has its pluses and minuses, but for sure. me, I just do all the, all the correspondence and all that stuff myself. I don't know that everybody knows that until they actually deal with you, but you know, considering your volume and everything that you do on a day-to-day basis, I would hope that that would kind of give a little empathy for, for you and what you do and the amount of communication that you do provide, I think yeah. is, is pretty remarkable when you look at it. You're never going to make every buddy happy recently yeah. i had a customer that said she wasn't willing to move forward with a horse until i personally called her on the phone and i was like do you know how much i hate making phone calls <laughs> like this pain Wait, makes- was, it, was it because she thought you were like a nigerian prince or I was it guess, because I'm like, you know, i don't know I, for me it's 2023 i would Technology dig in is, is like, i fully admit that if that's the way you need me to do like i'm not gonna be the best at it because I'm really bad. And I will like listen to somebody's phone message and then text them back and be like, it's easier for me to correspond via text. <laughs> I fully admit it. It is very hard good. for me. To, like, we all have those people in our life that like you send a text yeah. to and then your phone starts ringing and you're like, why are they calling me? Right. I <laughs> yeah. texted them. They're like, yeah. they, they know that you're by your phone. Right. And right. if I'm in the barn, like my phone doesn't ring. Right. I don't get good reception. And I say that yep. all the time. I don't get great reception. I'm outside a lot. My phone's not going to ring. I probably don't even <laughs> no. know you left me a message. So as you said that me. your reception went out. Yeah. Oh I mean, gosh. it's not yeah. great. The last barn that we were at when I had my business, oh my gosh. I literally got no reception in the barn. I had to leave my phone. Oh gosh. So even the wash doll, like just to yeah, like get it, calls it, and it stuff. Right. It was good. Cause like I could go into the barn and focus, but then if I was waiting for a call or something like that, you know, it was, yeah. it was difficult, but I don't think that everyone understands sometimes those little oddities about location. All right, let's move on and look at the kind of typical buyer profile that you encounter. In terms of your typical buyer, what do they look like? Are they professionals versus amateurs? They tend to be a certain age, gender, you know, those sorts of things. Do they have upper level or lower level goals? Are they located near you? I just threw a lot at you. (laughs) Yeah, I find that most buyers are amateurs. I think amateurs is sort of like a broad 
term. So that could be anything from somebody that is more of a backyard rider to a good amateur that competes at training level prelim. So that can vary. I would love to have more professionals, but I have found that it is less common to have professionals that will pay the prices that I ask for my thoroughbreds just because maybe they can buy their own or they just, they don't want to spend that, that money. So it, it depends. There are some, so it, I won't say that that's like, but it, I would just say that that's not as common. Most are women. I'd say most are, you know, 30 to 50, as far as age profile, I feel like most, most people tend to like wait until they're established in their careers and have jobs where they can afford to buy a horse and board a horse. And, you know, I think the demographics obviously have changed a lot as far as people not being able to afford farms. And so they have to be able to afford board, which is expensive. So then that changes the demographics of the horse buying and what your typical buyer um, looks like. But my buyers are oddly, most of them are not local. I think as Facebook has become a thing, I think there's a lot more people that buy sight unseen. So most of my purchases, most of the buyers do buy sight unseen. It's more common than I think people even grasp because I see people comment on Facebook about sight unseen buying and I'm thinking 80% of my sales are sight unseen. That is just <laughs> how people are shopping here. So I don't know what it's like for other people. And I, I understand that that's not for everybody, but that is more typical than not as far as how horses get sold here. Do you so, think you know, some was... of that has to do with, well, two things. One, that there's maybe areas of the country that are sort of horse deserts where there just aren't yeah. a lot of like options. And then also I know that the prices on the West Coast can be really steep, even right off the track. So do you think a little bit of it is people... Are... <laughs> <Stop> it. <Yeah>. <laughs> do you think a little bit of it yeah. is people being in Arizona or California and, and thinking, well, I can get this one for this amount of money plus shipping and it's still cheaper than anything I can get here. Yeah, definitely. It, you know, I, it sort of sometimes shocks me a little bit about the California thing because they do have racetracks there. I understand that there are areas now that don't have racetracks, so they don't have the supply of horses coming off the track that other places do. But from what I understand, horses coming off the track in California are actually kind of sparse and they're very expensive. So people have told me that it's just as reasonable to buy a horse out here, spend $3,000 shipping it. It's going to cost the same amount and they feel like they're getting a better horse. They also said that there's not as many people kind of doing like a resale business out there, which I think is true as far as people that I know that do track listing services. I guess you could say that I know some in different locations, like in the Midwest and the West, but not as many people doing a large number of resales where they're putting a couple rides on the horses and doing the same thing that we are. So I don't think you find that in those areas as, as frequently. So I think that's interesting. I'm always trying to learn about why people that live so far are dropping mm -hmm. here. And I do think a lot of it is marketing. I always say that, but it's, it comes down to marketing. So many people say to me, well, it's your pictures and your videos and your ads. We feel like we know what we're getting. And yeah. that makes it more attractive to buy a horse when you feel like you know what you're getting. And so we really focus on that as far as the videos and the pictures and trying to kind of give people a complete idea of what it is that they're get, going to get. And hopefully that what shows up is exactly what it looked like on the videos. Yeah. Yeah, I would say your ads are honest 
maybe even to a fault, <laughs> which I really yeah. love. It. You, just, you put everything out there, like every people little. People don't always like it. There's people that are just like, I don't know. They don't see my sense of humor or whatever. I'm like, whatever, you know, I don't yeah. know. it is what it is. I'm going to tell people, hey, it does this or that, you know, and, and sometimes I think, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't write that because it offends people that I say this works like really need somebody that's willing to let it go forward you know I'm gonna write a post about it today because I'm really excited to show this horse with a big big black horse yeah (laughs) so cool like the difference wait until you see it it's amazing but I think he's such a prime example oh yeah of the horses that people should not buy that do buy then they get (laughs) it and then they mess it up and then it comes here and we fix it and I've probably said no to 30 people already that have the money and want the horse. Huge too. (laughs) But when I watch the video, I actually love the fact that you're like, go to the end of the video so you can see him buck and almost unseat Stacey. And I was like, well, now I really have to watch him. I was like, he's stunning. I want to watch this anyways. And I'm watching it and you just see his tail like a little propeller while he figures out what she wants. And then as soon as he figures it out, everything gets soft and it's right. like you just watch his tail you, that's the only thing that you were watching that's your little like indicator of yeah. what's gonna happen next and it, to me I just never get tired of the process I swear it's why I'm still at it but it's to see what just the difference in a ride that that horse realized that we we're gonna let him go forward and we did the opposite of what I feel like a lot of people do was we just went softer here have a rubber bit here go really forward like literally full blast like we're going to yeah. let you gallop People just don't do that. They're scared to do that. And that's why he, on that first ride, every time he like got, he wanted to canter. And then he was like, oh my God, oh my God, you're going to get punished. And you know, like, yeah, this is what's happened. This is why I say no, because I know that if I sell this horse to the wrong person, it's not going to go well for anybody. I know what he needs. And so sometimes I will say, hey, if you can't do X, Y, and Z, this is not the horse for you. Please read what I wrote. You know, if you are not reading, you're going to <laughs> irritate me because I, you know, I am being specific. I am trying to cut down on the people that are going to contact me. And then I have to say, right. later. So, you know, I want to give you all the information up front. And so then yeah. that way you can not have to read between the lines. And sometimes I want to say, did you watch the video? You know, yeah. it's in the video. You know, like, <laughs> speaking you know, but of that, I might be jumping ahead here, but I think this is a good point to bring that up. Do you, if someone that you don't know, say they want to come see that horse and you talk to them or message with them and they seem like they're good, do you do any further research? Do you request videos or anything like that before you would let them come and try the horse? So I feel like people that, are pretty serious. Most of them, I do like look around on their Facebook. I feel like you can get a, a pretty good feel. So I'll definitely ask some questions like, well, who do you ride with? And kind of get a feel for that. Look at their Facebook and stuff. But most people will offer up videos. If I'm not sure, I'm I'm probably going to be a little reluctant. Like if there's anything that makes me think that maybe it's just not. Because people do... I don't know. It's not, it's not like they lie, but I think we all have sort of that 20 year old version of ourselves, right? Like what <laughs> we were like ride when we were 20, you know, and I think that all the time and I say that to people that come here shopping, you haven't yet come to terms with the fact that you're now 40 and you have a job and you have a different lifestyle and you don't want to ride the same thing that you did when you were 20. <laughs> you think you do. I think that I am capable of riding that horse. 
I, I can tell you, I could do it. Do I want to? I don't. I don't anymore. It doesn't mean that I can't. It just means that that's not what I want. And some people have a really hard time because we shop with their eyes, you know, and I watch that horse go around and I'm just like, my God, that thing's magnificent. I would love to have that horse. And I do own that horse. So I could keep that horse. But again, <laughs> that horse is not what I need. And so many people have such a hard time with that. And I think that's where like horse shopping can go wrong because a lot of sellers just they don't care they're just gonna sell you the horse you know? i think that's a very hard lesson to learn and like that's one that i personally had to learn i stopped restarting thoroughbreds and, and selling them and then i got a full-time job and then i thought oh look at this really cute mare let me get her and realized real quick that she needed at least six days a week of riding and she didn't even know how to steer and we're in the round pen for months on end. And that's no fun when you're done working all day, you know, it's really different. It's a lesson that I think people need to learn and hopefully not at your expense, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you know? also, I think resellers like have an obligation to talk about what programs you think your horses need. I talk about it a lot, like that. I think there's like horses that are kids see for horses that I'm confident you could ride once a week and they're going to be the same horses. And I get frustrated that people won't look at those horses because they're not as fancy. And I'm like, you don't need fancy. You yeah. don't compete. You just want to go have fun. The reality is, is more people need those horses than they need these really amazing athletic horses. And it it just can be like really hard. Those are the horses that are sometimes very hard to sell. And they're the best horses. There's something about this selling the industry that I would love to be able to fix it and change the the way that people see. But I, I've never succeeded in that. Like, when I work for their nonprofit, it's just like, okay, well, this horse has a bow. It has this, it has it. It will be great for this job. And you feel like people are won't accept anything that's less than perfect. And it's so frustrating because you just, you're never, you don't need a horse that's perfect to do what you're doing. You're um, never going to jump over two foot six. You don't want no. to. You right. actually don't want to. Let's be honest. Not you. <laughs> and then, I'm like, hi, it's me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you can live with a lot more than I think people would think. And everybody yeah. like doesn't want to talk about that. We need to get a little more real about talking about the jobs that these horses can still do and, you know, should be right. doing. And I always think, God, if I'm struggling to sell these horses that I have, I can't imagine the struggle that people are having like in 501Cs and horses that have issues and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So, really Did you difficult. A few years ago, and you call them the gate liquor, something like that. Oh, was yeah. Buy the gate liquor. I love that. Yeah. yeah, because it's turned cold all of a sudden. You quickly identify which horses you, you know, today was Monday after a long weekend, and there were horses, all the horses got lunged, and there were like a couple where we were like, they're fine. But those are the horses that aren't selling because they're not as fancy. I'm like, God, what what can I do? And I've had to get creative. And that's part of like the marketing, right? Sort of showing them off on a longer rein, being floppy, showing them just being more tolerant. So riding them not as professionally or putting your work in students on them and, and just trying to come up with different ways to show, hey, this is a really cool horse. It can do all these different things, you know, so. 
So I feel like we got a little all over the place in our interview questions here, but I'm going to try to like hone us in a little bit. Okay. So let's just say someone comes and tries a horse and loves it. What's the process or what are, what are your expectations from the buyer at this point? Are they setting up a vetting? Are they showing up with their truck and trailer and cash? What do you hope happens at this point? And then is the horse continued to be shown for sale and is it actively for sale until what point? So the way that I do my process is that horses are on the market until you either have set a vetting or you paid the deposit. I never used to take deposits, but during the last two years, people have gotten very, I've never encountered so many people that are, are as rude as they are, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. People that cancel vettings, people that set up appointments that say they're going forward and, and then don't. And that became really frustrating for me and for my staff because it just takes so much time to set appointments yeah. and hold horses for vettings and things like that. So it's non-refundable. And, and really what that does is it just, it's minimal, 200 bucks, holds that horse off the market for, you know, however long it takes you to get your vetting. You know that I'm not um, going to sell that horse out from under you. And it just sort of allows everybody to to feel good about, you know, like confident. I have had people that told me that they would absolutely never deal with me because they are not paying a non-refundable deposit if a horse doesn't pass a vet. Well, that's okay. Well, I mean, most people now I think are doing it, but you know, again, okay. Then maybe it's okay, just not the right for you. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's like a good faith deposit. You know, it's like you should yeah. ask fail, right? Like yeah. what's, what's passing and what's failing. I don't think any right. horse ever had a 100% clean vetting. And, if and it also has, like, you know, so many people talk about sellers that sell horses out from under them and things like that. And you at least have sort of a way to know that I'm not going to do that. I feel like it gives people the confidence to know your horse is being held. It is your horse until it's not your horse, until you tell me you're passing. So when people come, they pay their deposit. And I, I normally give them five days to set up a vetting. And then I give them 48 hours after a vetting. So that gives them time to like consult with their vet. And obviously I'm slightly flexible for unusual circumstances and things like that. So that's kind of normally how the, the process works. And everybody does that slightly different. Like sometimes people are just like, I want the horse. They send in the deposit, the vetting gets done. Sometimes people come shop and then they put down the deposit. Again, it just like depends. Cause people think there's just this whole thing. People think you don't want people to come try your horses. That's not true. It's just, we do get a lot of like sight unseen sales and people that we know, like we've been at it a yeah. long time. So there are a lot of people that I know they're a good buyer and I'm probably going to go with them because I like, I know them and I know they're good. So we do show horses, but we show them when we're confident that it's a good situation, a good match. We're not just showing horses because you want to show up. That's not how it works. Just yeah. because you want to set an appointment doesn't mean that like we are obligated to do that. Yeah. I was just going to ask after all of these things occur, what sort of communication do you expect? Or even if they just tried the horse and liked it, do you expect some sort of text or phone call or for something to follow up from them? And, or does that not really ever happen and they just leave you hanging? You know, good buyer behavior is that you at least say, Hey, thank you for your time. You know, I'm thinking about it or I'm not interested or, or whatever, like leave it in a place that I feel like gets you an invite to come back. 
that's always how I think about it, right? Is how do you want to leave it so that if you reach out to me the next time that you're going to be invited to come back? Because there are a lot of behaviors that people do that I think can annoy sellers, right? You've taken up five hours of our time. We've shown you eight horses. We don't even get a thank you, a follow-up, nothing, just nothing, you know? And and honestly, professionals are really bad about it too, which <laughs> frustrates me. It is shocking. I think people would be shocked. And then when that person reaches back out to me, don't think that I'm like going to let you be at the top of the list, right? right. I think people need to understand that like bad behavior is bad behavior. Like it's, yeah, it's just about being a good buyer. Since you guys are talking about being good buyers, like it's about being a good buyer, right? And you know, if you come and you are riding a horse and you know that you don't like it, it is totally cool to say, you know, this one's just not for me, but just say it in a way that's polite. We had somebody here recently and just a bad attitude. And she was on a horse and I sort of would keep pushing her to be like, do you want to ride it? And she was like, eh. So she was riding something and I said, okay, do you like him? And she goes, oh, no. And I was like, then get off. We have a busy day. (laughs) Right. Stop wasting everybody's time. You know, like get out. And I I sort of lost my cool because they were here for hours. And at that point, you're just being an asshole, like leave. And of course, I saw her in search of ad pop up and like I messaged a couple friends to be like, hey, FYI, in case they come to your barn again, because it's bad behavior. There is a way to be like, I really appreciate you showing me these horses. It's not quite what I'm looking for at this time or whatever. Right. That's fine. That is all of us. Like there is. I mean, I always like sort of navigate that because I buy so many horses to say to somebody like, thank you for sending me the info. It's not quite what I'm looking for. But try to do that in a way that's just polite, I guess. And like a little bit of follow-up. Like, don't leave them thinking you're buying something or you want something. And then how many times can you do that? Because then somebody, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Like, nobody's going to believe that you really are going to buy one because you've contacted me. You've come here. You've never bought anything. So like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, what are the chances? At a certain point, your rep- reputation may precede you. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know. What's your advice for people that are wanting to do a pre-purchase exam on one of your thoroughbreds? Hmm. <laughs> the, the short answer. You know, pre-purchasers are an individual decision. And I always say that you should do what makes you feel most comfortable, but also try to be realistic about your goals and what the horse has done as far as their work history and work with your trainer and a vet to that you know that makes it easier for you to navigate the process. So if you are not familiar, then hopefully they're helping you. I have some people that do, you know, the bare minimum, no vettings, or they do basics. And some people that x-ray every joint on the horse and you know I'm not one of those people that gets like upset about what you do you're gonna do what you're gonna do I can't control that I think that it's out of the seller's control like once that deposit is paid like the you're gonna get the vetting that you're gonna get but you know I do try to steer people towards the vets that I think are gonna give them the best experience and that's not me saying there's yes there are vets that I think 
I prefer, but I think I prefer those vets because I think they're good sport horse vets and they can help people understand what is normal for horses coming off the track, going into the sport horse world. I, I think that is one of the most important things that you can do is find vets that understand what thoroughbreds look like Absolutely. as they transition from the track to the sport horse world, because that is not the same as looking at horses that have been off the track for a year or other breeds that have never raced. It It's completely yeah. different. Right. And people spend so much money you know, doing these vettings with vets that make every horse sound like they have these massive amount of problems mm -hmm. and it's not the horse. It's just a vet that is completely inexperienced at looking at horses coming off the track. And I see that all the time and it, it's very frustrating. I think that's an excellent point. I mean, in our experience, we would have a couple of wildcard vets that would come out and it would always be a little eye-opening because we are pretty spoiled in our area of having vets that are very familiar with off-the-track thoroughbreds. And so you kind of always knew what they were going to do and what they were going to kind of say if the horse took a funny step here or there or whatever, you know. But yeah, I think that's really good advice for a buyer is be sure to find a vet that does off-the-track vettings because- yeah. They could be the best vet in, in, in the country, but if they don't look at thoroughbreds day in and day out, it it's just a bit of a, right. I don't know, like, it's, it's it, a special it, skill. It's a point 0.5 behind, so that's it. Right. <laughs> right, <Whereas> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, being able to find a vet that can put things in context is really, you know, important right. because I'll watch some of the vettings and I'm like, if I wasn't standing here looking at this horse and I was just on the other end and mm -hmm. I heard what this vet was saying I I probably would walk away from this yeah. because this vet is making this sound crazy you know and and I mean I have vets here that I just don't recommend and I think that's okay yeah. to do as a seller I I'm trying to make it a positive experience for everybody I am not going to waste my time on vets that don't like thoroughbreds that don't that are gonna make every horse sound like it's a three behind <laughs> yeah waste my time you know and yeah. i i know plenty of them and i don't have enough time in my day to deal with that and at the end of the day then i'm just gonna get pissed off i, I think i have maybe four vets on my website that i recommend and i don't make people pick but if they ask me i will say these are the vets that people have had the best experience with i actually feel like the vets that people have had the best experiences with are normally the vets that we like because they're just good vets. They're good people. They can yeah. talk to you. They communicate well. They, they're willing to talk to the customers and say, look, you know, we watched the horse ridden. This is what we saw. It just makes people feel comfortable. And especially when people are buying on site unseen, vets that can put everything in context and make you feel comfortable with the, the horse is what, you know, you, you hope to get. I think that's yeah. important, you know, because we know like all horses and, and I never just say thoroughbreds, all horses that have had a job will have things on their x-rays it is how you talk to buyers about what that means yeah you know in comparison to what their goals are that can make or break how well you know your sales go i always kind of found that the vets that i really enjoyed doing pre-purchases with would always start the conversation with the client at whatever point the client wanted to be uh, spoken to or if they were there in person they always had something positive to say about the horse. And for me, that was always like, they would start the conversation by, I really like the horse for what you want to do. 
X, Y, and Z. And they would explain yeah. whatever the findings were in relationship specifically to what the client has told them that they want to do with the horse. And I think that's what sets those vets a little bit apart, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What you need for a horse that you intend to, you know, eventually do prelim is different than a horse that you are looking at to do baby novice. And we have to understand, like, I'll go back to the whole kissing spine, but it's a thing when every sport horse vet that comes in here talks about it because they're saying they're getting so inundated by people concerned about kissing spine. And what does it mean? And you need vets that are confident in talking to customers about what is normal, what happens when a horse comes off the track and what does their back feel like and what do these films mean and all these things. It's so important to have good vets that are comfortable talking to customers. Yeah. yeah. And that aren't alarmists that aren't going to sit there in a vetting yeah. and go, well, I see kissing spine and then move on to something else. And you're like, what? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Because um, I mean, sometimes we will literally, I mean, I've been in situations where you don't even ever get to x-rays because the conversation that has been had with the client has made the horse sound so bad that you don't even have a shot. So it it's just really important. And if I get the gist that people are really on this quest for, for, for perfection, I, don't, I really, I think it's unrealistic to think that any horse that's two weeks post-track, 30 days post-track is going to not be positive in some yeah. fashion. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying like, like a one, like that's kind of normal. Like that's within range of like what you would expect to see on a horse that's starting a new job and using new muscles and things. So I'm like kind of careful when I talk to people to kind of pick up on, does this person sound realistic? You know, because yeah. that's important yeah. to me. Like I don't want somebody getting a horse home and stripping its shoes off and doing all these things and going, <laughs> oh my God, it's lame. And I'm like, well, no shit, don't do that. Why did you do that? You know, so if I already know that it's going to happen, I'm just like, nope, not for me. You know? Yeah. Right. When shoes are considered maintenance, that's always. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, you think mild changes on a horse that's had, you know, 40 plus starts is unusual. You're not the right buyer because that's normal i had a I had this mare recently like being bought for a kid like best mare i think i just posted about her like, oh yeah for a kid. but she had run like 50 sometimes but she had mild changes i'm talking mild and they were really considering not buying her and the vet was do you understand how good this horse is the vet was so <laughs> strongly like this is very normal she has no chips no spurs like mild be crazy by the horse and also the vet said to them, the brain on this horse <laughs> is what you are buying. Yeah. Like, thank you. And you quite know, frankly, like, there's no price you can put on that, you know? Yeah. But to get people like, you have to have somebody that's like sort of willing to be the voice of reason sometimes because I was yeah. like, where's your trainer? Because I said, oh, I thought it was a great vetting. And they were like, well, it wasn't perfect. And I'm thinking, did anybody exist? To be right. perfect, like, did we go into the vetting on a horse that ran 50 times expecting, <laughs> like, <laughs> to be perfect? Um, yeah, so we had, we had yeah. a funny experience once during a vetting with a horse that hadn't been off the track for very long, but was fairly difficult to flex. I think that's another thing that people don't realize is that, like, these horses are yeah. so fit, and then you're trying to flex them, and sometimes the vets get real enthusiastic about the, the flexions. And you're like, hasn't 45 seconds gone by yet? Like what's happening? But anyways, this particular horse was like, not great for his flexions in terms of his behavior, but he flexed fine and they came to pick him up. And the dad 
was a small animal vet and he would only buy the horse if he could flex it himself. And Emily and I were like, you're going to get your head kicked off, but by all means, you know, his hind legs for like, it was like a minute and a half. I was like, you're going to, I was like, Sorry, buddy. Also, how often are you flexing small animals at the veterinary office and jogging them? We were just like, okay, because it's so ridiculous. You're just going to let it happen. You're like, well, you know. I mean, yeah. Well, and, you know, I always say <laughs> they, too, they bought the horse. <laughs> it can be super hard. Vettings can really go wrong, right? The wrong vets can spool the horses up so much. Like I've had vets that the reason I don't let them come here is because they're not really good at handling young horses. And yeah. some of these horses are really fresh off the track and flexions is not something that, that they really understand. And some vets just, you're like three hours into a vetting and you're thinking, for God's sakes, what are we doing? These <laughs> horses are young. They are not going to handle this. You are making this horse behave the way it is because like, this is, this is you. Um, right. So the horse is getting more and more wound up. I, I have this one vet that man, she'll like haul off and whack it. And, you know, I was like saying, I have some horses that literally you do that once and you're done. You might as well <laughs> walk away. Cause not gonna, yeah. not gonna go good, you know? And, no. I don't know. So that kind of stuff is like things we know. And then sometimes some vets want you to ride and like riding horses after they've been through all the flexions and stuff. Yeah. But horses that are normally can be so quiet. It can be shocking how like wound up they get. They're just done. They're like. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I've had horses that are so quiet and then you like go to get on them after you've done all the, you know, (laughs) and you're like, Holy hell. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then just to start to wrap up the conversation, how do you feel about price negotiation? Do you feel like it has any place in terms of using the, the pre-purchase as like a, a point of reflection to negotiate or how do you feel about people negotiating with you? in general. I prefer any negotiation to be done before a vetting ever happens. I rarely negotiate after a vetting unless there's something major that I think warrants it. And that that normally takes a lot for me. So for me, that would have to be like a horse that has something that just like is completely unexpected, like a chip or something, like maybe something that needs like removal, you know, and then I'll probably offer off like the price of getting that chip taken out or something like that. But I'm just not really a type of person that believes in using a vetting as a negotiation tool. If you're doing that, stop. Cause yeah. Yeah. Sellers are going to hit you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm sure that's a, such a case by case basis where I'm sure if you had a client who was like in love with the horse, had very realistic expectations, and then they found like a little smooth chip somewhere. I'm sure for you, you're kind of like, gosh, this is a perfect match. And I really want to make this happen. So I'm sure yeah, it's your, I mean, I think- your discretion of how you do that, but. Absolutely. And how people go about it. Normally, I feel like we try to work with people, but everybody sometimes too, it it can just be challenging on, you know, what happens during that process. Because a lot of times the vet that does the vetting doesn't see something and then their vet sees something and you have this different opinion and you're sort of trying to figure out, okay, as a seller, what do I do? How do I make everybody happy, but also sort of do the best that I can for my business because you know the reality is that the profit margins are pretty pretty low and sometimes you sort of go okay well the the findings on this vetting if this person still wants to buy this horse I I think I should do this or 
you know, hey, I actually thought this was a really good betting. I'm sorry you didn't think that, but, you know, I really don't want to negotiate at this time. I think somebody else will come in and, you know, buy this horse right away. And that actually happens a lot. You know, I always say to people, I think people would probably be more uh, surprised to know that most of these horses have what I would call really good vettings. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many horses get passed over for things that I'm like, I, I can't <clears> imagine anybody even cares about this, but it happens a lot. Yeah. And I don't always own the films, but I will try to tell people what I know, whether or not they believe me or not. That's up to them. You know, I'm always honest. Most vets will tell you what they see. You're there during the vetting. You, you know, you've seen the flexions, you've seen the films, you know, we're just trying to do the best we can. So I'm, I normally try to be pretty forthcoming about what happened at a vetting and, why somebody passed. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll give people the person that vetted a horse's contact information if they want to buy films or they want to try to buy the vetting or whatever. Yeah. You do all you can, I guess. I don't want to send a horse back, you know, through four vettings if I don't have to. Well, and I think that people really eat up their budget in pursuit of a perfect vetting. And before you know it, you've got no money left. And guess what you're going to get with that amount of money? If they vetted like three or four horses that like didn't pass the vetting, Eventually, they just sort of cave and like buy something and or or they're just more willing to accept something. And that's like funny to me that that happens. But I've seen that happen so many times. People have spent done three vettings that cost twenty five hundred dollars a piece. And then like suddenly they realize, whoa, this is crazy. And then they're just like, fuck it. And then they move on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. OK, but I it happens. It's fine. All the time. Yeah. Regarding negotiation and pricing, have you ever been offered something that was not cash for one of your horses? Because we had this experience once. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> what? Like, what's... What? No. <laughs> like, what? It was a bronze sculpture of some sort. Yeah. And like, and it was like, <laughs> we have this bronze sculpture and like $3,000. Will you accept it? And we were like, what? No. <laughs> Wow. No, I, I actually can't say that that's happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Not like, oh, I've got this stock trailer that I, I'm going to trade for one of your horses. <laughs> oh my God. No, that, I mean, sometimes I get a lot of people that will ask like, will I do a trade or this or that? I don't <laughs> normally do that. I will say I've traded horses with other resellers. So <laughs> I actually have done that. Like say your program is more for hunters and mine's more for eventers. My clients are more eventers and yours are more like I've done that or like horses that I have that I think nothing's wrong with them, but I just can't get them sold for whatever reason. It's so funny. Like I've like just, we've just swapped horses and it like it's worked out. I think sometimes if horses stay here for a while, people think, oh, there's something wrong with them. I don't know. I don't know why. Some Sometimes things are so weird, but it works. Um. I haven't done that in a while, but um, I've done it. it I sense. have done that. All right. And Emily, do you want to? Yeah, just uh, wrapping things up. Do you have anything else you want to add? Any additional advice for buyers? Maybe if it's somebody buying their very first off the track thoroughbred or anything else you wanted to add? You know, just to be realistic, I think about your goals and really think about the fact that, you know, being up in your parameters sometimes leads you to the best horses and not being set on it has to be a certain height or a certain color and things like that. You know, I really think sometimes the best horses are maybe 
something you didn't expect you were going to like. I get that a lot when people come here and I just sort of ask them to be open-minded and I'm like, can I just pull this horse out for you? And, you know, I sort of entice them like, will you just entertain me and have a sit on it? And how many people are like, that's totally not what I expected. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and so <laughs> sellers want to sell you the horse that is going to best fit you. Be open to what sellers are recommending. We know our horses. We listen to you. I really do try to listen to people. So when they talk to me and tell me what they're looking for and what their hopes are and, you know, what their lifestyle is like, they'll tell you their whole life story and I'll listen. And I'm like, boy, I actually really think I got the horse for you. I probably actually really mean it. I'm not just saying that just to say it. So I always say to people, if I'm recommending something, it's normally because I really think it'll work or I really like the horse. You know, I have a lot of horses, but some I like more than others or some I just think are better suited for certain people or I try to be honest and not barn blind. So I always do try to say that to people. I I won't tell you a horse is an upper level horse if I don't think it is or say, oh, I'm pretty sure this one will fox hunt or I would never fox hunt this horse like if it was the last (laughs) horse on earth. I say that to people all the time and they're like, what? And I'm like, they'll reach out to me and I'm looking for a horse to do this. I'm like, oh no, you don't want that. And they're like, what? So listen to what a seller is telling you. They're trying to get the best horse and make the best match. And I really like to think that most people have good intentions because they like their horses and they want everybody to be happy. And and then just like do your research. There's a lot of ways to research sellers nowadays, you know, a lot of people have Facebook pages with reviews and, you know, there's places that you can go to ask about people and ask about their experiences. I think that's important. You're never going to get something that's a hundred percent, you know, positive experiences, but you want to feel like people have had more positive experiences than, than negative, especially in the way that people are shopping nowadays, just using Facebook it's so easy to get drawn in by a pretty picture and not do your research. I admit that I've been fooled by it, you know, too. And so I, I just really encourage people to, to reach out to other people that, you know, have done business with that person or reach out to other, you know, resellers and generally we'll do our best to steer you in the right direction. Cause if people ask me, I will just say my experience has not been positive or I've had more positive experiences with this person than negative or whatever. You know, I try to be honest because I think I buy a lot of horses and I think nobody's perfect. So even the people that I buy horses from, I've, you know, maybe gotten 10 great and one, nah, but most of them were good. I think that's good. That's a good law of averages. So, yeah. but if I bought, you know, three horses from you and all of them were crippled and I euthanized all three of them, I'm going to tell you that I will tell people that. And then they can get really mad at me and go tell the person that I said that. I'm okay with that. I have the proof. You know, if anybody asks, here it is. Um, So I will do that. And I just think it's important to ask people like so that you don't have to learn those hard lessons. It's always about how much risk you're willing to take. And there's different levels of risk in buying thoroughbreds, right? You know, buying off the track from a listing service versus buying from a trainer versus, you know, buying from somebody that does resell or buying somebody that's had a horse for a couple of years. I just feel like there's different tiers of risk. How much information do you need to feel comfortable? And you, somebody really needs to like, think about that. 
I think we talked about that in one of our other episodes and just kind of breaking down like all the different levels of risk and, and buying horses. So there's definitely a little something for everybody there. Yeah. And some people will never be comfortable buying sight unseen. And some people yeah. they're like, yeah, that's no big deal. So you have to kind of ask yourself, like, what do I feel okay with? Like those kind of, those kind of things. And yeah. that's different for everybody. Horses are so expensive now off the track. So it's like sometimes a horse is $5,000 off the track. And if you would like to see it written a couple more times and have more information, it's like, what, what is that worth to you? You have to, you kind of have to decide, am I comfortable that I can get this horse home and, you know, it not want to do the job that I wanted it to do, or it has X, Y, and Z quirks and I didn't know it because that's kind of an expensive risk to take. It's been tough for me buying horses. I definitely have a price point that I'm comfortable buying. And then there's like a point where I think this is just like, normally I'd say like 5,000, like yeah, I normally will gamble. But anything above that. But now, I mean, horses are expensive off the track. Sometimes I'm like, am I going to be priced out of the game? You know, I think most people in the resale business have really like thought about that because the money we are getting for our horses doesn't always, it can be really hard. I have to bump my prices up to kind of, you know, meet that change in prices. And, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, for sure. And I do, I like, I guess that's probably one thing I would want to add is that if people haven't horse shopped in a couple of years to know that the prices have really changed, mm-hmm. not only buying horses, but shipping, all those things have changed so drastically, you know, gone are the days where you could go to the track and buy something under a thousand dollars. That's just really extremely rare. And I find most horses that anybody has even put a couple of rides on are going to be above $5,000 nowadays. It's impossible to make it go around if you, you know, can't. And people, you know, I always say, I love what I do, but I also, I have to run a profitable business. Like we have to do the best we can to make it so that our horses can have all the things that they need. And you have to think about that on each horse that you buy. Like that doesn't make sense um, to do it. I think that kind of wraps up this conversation. Just to remind everybody, you can find Jessica on Facebook under Benchmark Sport Horses and on the internet at benchmarksporthorses.com. Thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing your insights with us on Audubon Tap. <laughs> to our listeners, be sure to check out Jessica's program. She's going to be a regular contributor to OTTB on Tap. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her about a bunch of ins and outs, her program and discovering what she has to say and share with OTTB enthusiasts. Join us in a couple of weeks when we talk to Jessica about the concept of forward and how it relates to off the track thoroughbreds. And trust me, there's so much to discuss regarding this concept. Emily, where can they find us on social media? Oh my goodness. I have to say this part. (laughs) It's not in the script. (laughs) I think you should do it. Okay. (laughs) On Instagram, we are OTTB underscore on underscore tap. On Facebook, you can find us in our Facebook group, OTTB Market. And you can email us for any questions, comments, or topics of of discussion at OTTBontap at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. (laughs) 